Well, good morning. I trust you all are well. I'd like you to uh, make no mistake on what the Lord has done, but last Thursday, July 7th, was the 25th anniversary date for the church here. Um, The Lord has been gracious to us in allowing us and those who have been a part of this ministry to have a hand in sharing in the work of the gospel and building up the saints. And after service, there is going to be a cake that is going to be in the back. It's a half sheet. We just thought we'd provide a cake because it's really not about us. It's about the Lord, you know. So uh, we can have our cake and eat it too after service. And we just want to celebrate Uh, what the Lord has done over all these years. And there have been so many people who have had a part in this. And you are the ones that are here now, and you are the ones that are called on to be faithful, just to be disciples. And as you are disciples, you will replicate. Uh, If you are not disciples, uh, you know, there's issues with that that the Lord wants to rectify. And he's a gracious and loving Lord. But that's exactly what he wants to do. Now, one of those individuals that has been a disciple or working in that direction and by the way none of us arrive none of us just get there and all of a sudden we are mature i have been reading this book or going through the audio book it's called dangerous occupation and it is about pastors and those who are in ministry and why it is such a dangerous occupation because there are pitfalls all along the way and those who serve in ministry as well as leaders and deacons and elders they suffer the same type of trials tribulations and have to avoid the same kind of pitfalls and there's an individual here which I mentioned last week is going to be prayed in this morning uh, to be an elder and we know that that's Dustin and him and his lovely wife Mercedes and their sons Mercedes and, and their son DJ will come up in a few minutes but I'd like to just kind of spell out from scripture what this is because you may not be familiar I'd like you to just take out a bible and I'd like you to open up to 1st Timothy chapter 3 and in here it is God's design what the church should look like when the individuals are available and he provides them There's supposed to be, of course, we know, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. The apostles were in the first century. The prophets, some debate whether or not it's um, office that has ceased. I don't think so because in the book of Revelation there are at least two prophets that show up. And nowhere in scripture does it say that the office of a prophet has started. Then it's going to stop and then it's going to pick up again. And then there are those who are an evangelist or they hold that uh, classification according to the Lord. They have a burden for souls and they will witness to just about anybody. And even those who don't have the gift of being an evangelist, those who are in ministry are to do the work of an evangelist, that they are to give the gospel. And so that leaves pastors and teachers. And in that category of pastors and teachers come the elders. Uh, pastors and teachers are raised up from the elders you will have a teaching pastor so to speak and we call that the lead pastor or the founding pastor or the senior pastor in churches but God's design is that there's supposed to be 
a pastor, that they're supposed to be elders, and they're supposed to be deacons as the Lord provides. If the Lord doesn't provide, it is not yet the time. The difficulty in that is finding an individual who is willing to sacrifice all for the sake of Christ. And not often does that individual come forward, uh, raised to the surface, so to speak. It is not my job as the pastor, nor Eric's job as an elder, to say, you can be a future elder, and you can be a future deacon. All you have to do is pass this test and take a couple of interviews and things will be fine. We'll just get you right in there. It's not our job to do that. Our job is simply to go, wow, looks like the Lord's raising up this individual to be an elder or a deacon. All we do is confirm it. And if the Lord doesn't want it to take place, things bubble to the surface. And we go, wait, let's just hold off. That's why Paul says, do not be quick in the laying on of hands. Make sure that time is taken. And then that time, you do not rush or do not rush to judgment, so to speak, on an individual. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it lays out the qualifications of an elder. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. And the reason it's noble is because it's thankless this side of eternity. The Lord will certainly thank the individual for stepping forward and being faithful to the ministry that they have been called to, but oftentimes they receive the brunt of criticism. Immediately, someone like Dustin or someone like Eric or anybody who is in ministry, they are always scrutinized. People look at them. Conversations take place. Usually on Sunday afternoon, people will have roast elder or roast pastor as part of their meal. They will say things that they agree with and things that they disagree with. And so that that just goes par for the course. And we're not to think that unusual. Even Jesus says those who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that persecution will come from within and it will come from without the body of Christ. And so it is a noble task. Verse 2, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. Uh, Dustin, you don't have another wife somewhere? Okay, we're all good. Uh, Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now I'd like you to turn over to Titus chapter 1. Paul sent out Titus to several churches and he wanted him to appoint elders. The first go-round, so to speak, when a ministry begins, whether it's an apostle or whether it's an elder or a pastor teacher, they appoint the elders. And from that point on, the elders as a group take charge of bringing up other elders and other deacons and other leaders in the church. Verse 6, excuse me. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to a charge of being wild and disobedient. 
Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And all those these qualifications in First Timothy and Titus are detailed. It is understood that no one who serves as an elder in any church is sinless. We know that as we walk along in our discipleship and sanctification process, that we don't become sinless, but we sin less. And the, the Lord wants us to be aware of that because we often have this idea that whoever is either teaching or whoever is doing worship or whoever is an elder, they really don't touch the ground when they walk. There's a halo over their head and you hear the angels humming in three different harmony parts as they go down the street. And it is not the case. I know uh, from personal experience and from what I've witnessed over the years that elders can be just as mean and pressuring and obstinate and all of those adjectives that you would not like ascribed to you given the right circumstances. So they are fallen. We are fallen, all of us. And we have to keep that in mind. It is a fallen body. Although we are called to a holy life when we serve in a position of an elder or a deacon or a pastor, we will all carry our sin natures with us until we go to meet the Lord. So I can say with certainty that mistakes will be made, but the grace of God is bigger than all of those areas. If I went back and listened to all the messages over the past 25 years, I think I would... They said this at the last pastor's conference. They said, if you want to improve your preaching, listen to your own messages. He goes, if you want to die a thousand deaths, watch video of yourself. And, you know, because <laughs> we'd be so critical, we'd think of all the mistakes we have made, and, it, and yet God covers that in his grace too. And anything that I would teach or Dustin would teach or Eric would teach, sometimes we're going to make mistakes and we have to go back and correct it. I have done so from the pulpit when I've gotten something wrong. I've just said, you know, I got this wrong. I think I communicated to you, I think it was uh, D.L. Moody uh, who listened to another pastor come in. I think I just told you a couple of weeks ago how when this other pastor came in and he was teaching from the pulpit, I believe it was D.L. Moody or it was Charles Spurgeon. He sat right in the front, in front of the lectern to listen to the message. Pulled up a chair and sat right there. And as this other pastor was going through and expounding on the scriptures, he threw up his hand and says, Well, there goes that sermon, just as loud as he possibly could in the congregation because he knew he had gotten it wrong. And so he decided he was going to go back and change it, but he changed it right there and then. So these mistakes will be made. But for the most part, somebody who is an elder, deacon, or leader in the church or pastor must always and constantly be given to upgrades. You know, on a computer, what's the latest version of Windows? Windows 10 or 10.1 or something like that. If you don't eventually upgrade, all those old programs are going to go by the wayside. You have to keep on upgrading. Well, the same thing is true in being an elder. 
you know, uh, having an applicator's license for spraying pesticides and herbicides and things like that. Once you get the license, you have to go back and you have to keep on upgrading it. Dentists, they have to go back and get classes and upgrade and get the new technology. Doctors, same thing. And so elders as well have to continue to read, to investigate, to see what's out there, to see what God's will is. And more importantly, not just the doctrine. It's not just about what you know. It's about who you are. So the sanctification process, it doesn't necessarily kick into a higher gear. It just remains constant. And that is the job of an elder. Now, an elder's wife and the elder will encounter challenges. They will never have to confront anything that will just send them and shipwreck their faith, so to speak, because God has called them to this. It's, It's something that's inside that does that. It's something that inside that breaks us. But God has prepared an individual like this to serve in the body of Christ and extend grace to everyone. And when you think about it, whenever you see Eric and you see his wife Jennifer and you see Dustin and you see Mercedes and you see my wife, please pray for the wives because they are usually the target uh, before the husbands. Uh, if something somebody doesn't like inside the church, that not just this church, this is church in general. The individual will sometimes feel intimidated by the elder or the pastor. So they'll go to the pastor's wife or they'll go to the elder's wife and they'll discuss or explain to them their complaint. And then they have to carry that and go back to the husband and say, this is what's going on. So we need to be praying. And by the way, If you were ever to engage in that, you're no different than anybody else in any other church, in any other Christian community. That's just the way we are. We are sinful. And that is a burden that we carry. That is a burden that is supposed to be placed upon our shoulders, knowing that this is going to take place. Patients will have to be rising to dominance in their lives as the enemy will try to destroy the work that God has wrought. And an elder and his family... And other leaders in the church are a target of the enemy. So we must always be offering up prayers of support for the leaders, especially the leaders here in Calvary Chapel Lakeside. Now that deals with a fallen body. And although uh, Dustin, I would consider mature in the faith, that is a relative term. He is a work in progress, as I've said. Uh, somebody who is like, uh, if you are familiar with him, J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer, I think he's about 160 years old. And he is a preeminent theologian. Some guys just have so much wisdom and they've been pastors. And compared to me, I'm still in nursery school and they are in graduate school and I'm still learning from them. And so this work in progress is something that we have to be aware of. And when you are blessed with a particular gift and God establishes that gift, if you remember from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, Paul was encouraging Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. So if this gift has been given, like all of us, if we have any gift whatsoever, you're supposed to fan the flame. Now, what does that mean, fan the flame? It means you have this tiny little fire of a gift that God has given to you, and you're supposed to fan it. You know, like when you used to go to the beach campfire and you'd blow on the fire, and the fire would get going, or you're at a campground, and you just wanted it a little hotter, you know, so you blow on it, or you fan it, and you get it going. You're supposed to do that. We are all supposed to do that with the gifts that God gives us. 
If you're not being a disciple, if you're not in the Word, if you're not fellowshipping, if you're not trusting in Him, if you're not getting before the Lord on your knees and saying, Lord, give me direction for this, establishing your relationship, you're not fanning the flame of the gift. It's just smoldering. And then when you take, you've heard this analogy before, when you take several people who are in leadership and you put them all together, that's like taking several logs of wood and putting them together instead of burning just one single log of wood. And so you can understand how that flame will just kind of grow. And the more pieces you throw on that, the bigger the fire gets. By way of illustration, when I was in elementary school, they would never do this again. But when they were building homes down in Chula Vista, they would pull up truckloads during the Halloween Thanksgiving time of wood wood that come off of house building projects and they would dump them in the middle of the playground and I'm telling you these piles of wood were 12 feet high and there would be three of them on the playground down at Rosebank Elementary School in Chula Vista and they would light those things on fire and there would be just this humongous bonfire in three different places on the playground imagine if that were believers and they're all together it's just a huge fire but if an individual believer is all by themselves the fire has a tendency to wane to go out to just glow that's why fellowship is so important because that fellowship lends it to fanning the gift that has been put into your life or anybody's life now a faithful servant and witness currently Dustin has been serving in the youth ministry in the Sunday school Uh, He is right now organizing a trip to Mexico in October. Uh, That's the weekend of the 14th, right? We haven't heard back from that yet. And so he's he's taking care of all that. He has been to Cambodia and on a on a couple of occasions, and he's always at the church functions. Uh, Whenever he's asked to be here, he is here, and he usually doesn't have to be asked to be here. He just—I don't think I've ever asked you, right? Have I ever asked you to be anywhere? He's here. I mean, talk about faithfulness. <laughs> you know, I can turn to him now and go, you again. You know, showing it, that's the way it should be. We all should turn to each other and go, you again? Oh, okay. I can deal with that. The Lord preordained that this should happen. So uh, he's also been through the basics of the Bible and theology. He's been here at the church for the last eight years. Uh, been serving just with a uh, true servant's heart. I don't know that I've ever heard a single complaint be registered. Not that he couldn't, and maybe he has, but I certainly don't remember it. Unless you think that I am giving Dustin's characteristics and accomplishments in order to lift up a man that you might think is, wow, he's way up there. Remember, I started with, he's a fallen individual. But Scripture tells us that we are to hold up those who have lived and ministered according to the teachings of the Bible. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, where Paul writes, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So if there's an individual that follows the teachings of Paul given by Jesus Christ himself for the care and upkeep of the church, we are to take them, hold them up before you and say, see, this is an example. All the while knowing they're a fallen individual, but God has had their grace, his grace upon them. And so they are able to serve in this particular capacity. Now the task before every elder 
which is an individual given to prayer and ministry of the word, shepherding and defending the flock and the word of God. That's what they are supposed to do. All of those things are crucial to provide for a healthy environment for the church. If you remember in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, there was a case there where the Hebraic and the Grecian widows were not being taken care of properly. And those who were the leaders of the church decided that they needed to have the body of the people there appoint seven men of good report to take care of the widows, both the Hebraic and the Grecian ones, to make sure it was equitable, that whatever they got, it was split evenly between them. And that job would have been given to those who were deacons. And the job of those who were the head of the church, they were to give themselves to prayer and to ministering of the word, shepherding and defending the flock and the word of God. Because there are going to be people that come in and they will try to change the doctrines that God has given us. That's why we have to make sure we pull out that sword. You should be able to hear the zing when he pulls out the word of God and says, nope, I don't think so. But even at the pastor's conference, they told us about this. They reminded us that we are not as elders in a church, supposed to take out a sword and if somebody comes up with a contrary doctrine, we take it out and just slice them up, say, there, and then walk away. We are to gently instruct those individuals who are in error because we can fall into that error as well. We are to be a good shepherd. Now, take that analogy. Jesus Christ is a good shepherd and he has two things in his hands. He has the shepherd's crook, so to speak, that he can grab a sheep by the neck and pull it to him so he can examine it. He's looking for ticks and imperfections and broken legs. And that's why if Dustin or Eric or I come up to you and say, how you doing? How you doing? You know, if you're doing okay, it's wonderful. If there are any problems, we can pray for you. We can make sure that you are ministered to as Christ would minister to the flock or the sheep or the shepherd would minister to the sheep. That's the job of the elder as well, to minister. But it also is the job of the elder, the shepherd, the assisting shepherd, to have a rod. Now, what is the rod for? We all know what the rod is for. Smack those stupid sheep, right? When we're all stupid. I'm not calling any of you stupid that I'm not calling myself stupid. That's just the way sheep are. We will do dumb, idiotic things. And we will be purposeful in doing them. And it affects the body of Christ. And if the person does not receive the correction, you're supposed to take the rod and smack them a little bit. Now, I say that mostly in jest. I think over 25 years, there may have been once or twice where I've had to pull that thing out. One guy left his wife and started sleeping with a single woman. And I, you know, I was like, dude, what are you, what, you're putting me in a bad position to do that. And I had to tell the whole church because that's what the scripture said to do because of the position that they maintained. But that is supposed to be used sparingly. It's that loving shepherd's crook that's supposed to be given to the sheep where they are pulled in, they're examined, they're fluffed up, the wool is trimmed, and they are set back out to just go enjoy themselves. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And it, it is the job of the shepherd to make the environment one where the sheep can be well-fed 
where they are comfortable. Also, in addition to what the scripture says, not that I'm adding to the scripture, we have our own little acronym for determining if somebody can serve inside of the church in a leadership position. And it's with the acronym LAWFUL, spelled with two L's at the end, not one. And the L in LAWFUL, the first one is LOYAL. They must be incredibly loyal. Uh, If they are serving inside the church and they are not loyal, they are not first given to the duties here in the church, then they really shouldn't be serving in a position of leadership. And they should be able to defend whatever accusations come. Unless it's brought by two or three people, they're not even to entertain any kind of accusation against anybody in the church, not just somebody in leadership. Secondly, the A, L-A, is attendance, that they're actually at the events in the church. They show up to Sunday. If there's a Wednesday, they show up to that or it's another study. The requirement for leadership is that you come to Sunday, that you are involved in the church, that you are here for worship and you're here all the way to the end and you fellowship and you attend one additional study wherever that is. And he has always done that. Thirdly, you have to be well-liked, the W in lawful. Imagine appointing somebody as an elder or leader or deacon that is not well-liked. And they come along and they ask you to do something. Are you going to be agreeable? You're going to go, do it yourself. You know, you, there's no relationship there. There has to be a relationship. If Dustin turned out to be an angry man and he started raising his voice to everybody, you are not going to receive from him. And he has to be a man that is full of grace. So he has to be well-liked. Then there is also the F. He has to be able to facilitate a small group study, lead it. And he has done so with the youth, and uh, he's filled in in a couple of different capacities, and it's great. He's proven he can do that. The U in lawful would be unconditional spousal support. Mercedes, how many times have I asked you? Are you all for this? Never, right? I've never asked you, right? (laughs) She has always said after several times, I, I go up to her and said, Mercedes, Are you on board with this? Will you support him? And she goes, I will do anything for my Dustin. (laughs) Well, it was almost like that, but that's what she said. And then the two L's in lawful, lowliness. Is he humble? You know, the person that serves as an elder must not be a recent convert because in those cases they can be built up with pride. And that pride can just take them over and have them be in a bad place so that he has had to have experienced enough problems in his life, not just specifically Dustin, but anybody that serves in that position, to cause them to be humble. They don't become hardened or bitter, but they're humble, they're lowly. And then the last one is longevity. How long have they been at the church? We always have a requirement that if somebody wants to serve in ministry in some kind of capacity, they have to be here for six months. There might be some exceptions to that, but the point is you have to be here for a long time. If you bring in a new shepherd to a flock of sheep, the sheep will run whenever that shepherd pulls up. To give you a case in point, when Patty and I were traveling the western half of the United States, she loved the animals. She would see the animals, and her dad was a... uh, dairy man and she just loves cows their big old cute brown eyes and the way that they look and we'd go buy cows and she'd say oh how cute they are i want to get a picture and she wanted to get out and get real close to them and every time she got out guess what happened to the cows 
Runner man, move. And they would start moving. You know, they'd get away from her. They didn't want to have anything to do with her whatsoever. They didn't know who she was. And the same thing with the sheep in the body, the individuals that come to church that are part of the ministry. Those people have to know the individual. And if they do, the one who is serving as an elder or deacon or pastor, then they can readily receive. And so longevity is something that is crucial for the individual to serve properly. Now, finally, it is the job of all of us to be in submission to those that the Lord has raised up. God calls us to be submissive to the leadership he raises up both governmentally and ecclesiastically, which means both in the government and in the church. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And we'll save the argument later. Well, what if they tell you to do something that is against God? We all know that we're not supposed to do that. And also in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we are given the imperative, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Do you think it might be a burden? That's why Paul said this. It can be hard. For that would be of no advantage to you. And so it's, by the way, to be submissive to that, it's like in a marriage. Before a wife can be submissive to the husband, the husband has to die for the wife. If the husband's not dying for the wife, the wife cannot be submissive to the husband. And yet a husband will say, you need to submit to me. Well, the wife can easily say, you need to die for me. You know, and I'm sure several women may go home and say, you need to die for me. And, and you know, all in jest, that's how it works. That's how it's supposed to take place. So what we're going to do now is Dustin is going to come up and he is going to give you a brief, I didn't tell you this, he's going to give you a brief synopsis of when he got saved and how he got here. And once he does that, we're going to pray for him and install him as an elder. So, Dustin, if you want to come on up, and Mercedes, you can wait right there. And I'm going to sit and listen. All right. So good morning, everybody, once again. <clears throat> so uh, most of you know me, but, uh, might not know a lot about my past, so <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I was born in Northern California, a little small town up in the mountains, a little logging town called Quincy, which probably nobody's really heard of. It's a really small town. But uh, I started going to church when I was young. My parents sent me off to church with a neighbor because they didn't go to church. They weren't religious at all. And then after going to the church there for a while, I actually accepted Christ in my heart at about DJ's age at eight um, at an altar call at Sunday school. And... I knew what it meant to accept Christ, but I really didn't know what it was to follow Christ at that point in my life. And I went many years of my life astray and off doing things in the world that I really shouldn't have been doing. And I look back and have a lot of wasted years of my life in the things that I did do. And I'd say that in the bat, about 10 years ago, I started kind of walking with Christ and about eight years ago, faithfully walking with Christ consistently. And um, I've just... You know, here at Calvary Chapel, I've grown immensely. We ended up at this church because we had gone to, I was living in Lake Elsinore and went to Calvary Chapel there. It was a church that was close to our house. We liked that they were teaching out of the Bible, that they were 
presenting the message from the Bible rather than just kind of speaking based on stories of the Bible but not really opening up the Bible. And so when we moved back down here to San Diego, we started looking for a church and we went to a couple different ones and then ended up coming here. We'd heard the message online that Bill was giving at the time and it resonated with us that this is a church we wanted to go see. Came, um, and as soon as we walked in the door, we just kind of fit right in, and this has been our home for a long time, and you know, our roots have been planted here, and it's, we're just happy to be here. So, um, it's, Go ahead. Thanks. That's it. Okay, Mercedes. If you'd like to come up with DJ and Eric. Yeah. It's all right, DJ. You can stand next to me. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good. This is a big day for your dad. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to what is known as lay on hands. Scripture says don't be quick to lay on hands. Eight years, I don't think we're being too quick. Two years being in more of an intense environment, that's still not very quick. And so we have allowed the Lord to roast him just enough to where he has uh, ripened to just the right point so we can pray for him and we can lay hands on him. So, Eric, um, you might want the mic in order to pray, and I'm going to let you start, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Dustin and his faithfulness and uh, that of his family in support of him. And I do pray that you'd continue to fill him with your spirit each day. You'd give him the wisdom to lead his family, uh, to lead your church, Lord. And Lord, to live uh, the life that you desire for him, uh, that he would continue to have a heart moldable to you, a heart that uh, desires the growth of your people and your church. Lord, may he be encouraged. And Lord, at the same time, may he put on the armor of God each day, uh, ready to face battle. And uh, Lord, but most of all, may your spirit guide him above all else. And Lord, may the revival that you have started in his heart uh, spread to others. And uh, in Jesus' name. Father, I would lift up Dustin to you first, that you would enable him to continue to be faithful, that he would hear your voice at whatever difficulty comes up, or that you would provide for him the wisdom necessary to make the right decisions based upon your word, and also for his wife Mercedes, that you would enable her to support her husband when maybe she doesn't understand everything that is going on, dealing with the church that you would give her just the extra measure of faith that she can walk knowing that you have him in mind and her, the well-being, Lord, of their entire family. And for Father, for DJ, I would ask that you would give him the eyes to see what you have done, that you would raise him up to be an influence in the body of Christ, that he would be able to lead others to the saving grace that only you provide. 
and as a unit, as a family, Lord. I pray that you would draw them closer together and help us to provide any support that is necessary. Just reveal it to us, Lord, because you are able to do that. You are concerned about the members of your body. And also, Lord, for protection over him and his family, may you provide for him just the extra thickness on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, all of those things, Lord, that are necessary for an individual to fight the good fight. This is a spiritual battle that he will be engaging in on a regular basis. And I pray that the covering you place upon him would extend to his family. And also that you would give him wisdom for the people in the church for making decisions concerning their lives, that you would give him as the wisdom that Solomon prayed for, Father. He didn't pray for power or status or riches, but he just asked for wisdom. And so that's what we ask for Dustin and for his wife, Mercedes, that you would give them wisdom in all circumstances to be able to make proper decisions, to be able to, again, fight the good fight that the enemy would wage and douse the fiery darts using the shield of faith that the enemy throws. And, Father, for his growth as well, I pray that you would increase his knowledge without having him become puffed up that he'd be able to maintain the balance. And we also know that the praises that somebody receives are what really test a man's heart. And so I would pray, Lord, that you would have it tempered and protected, that you would also give him a skin of leather, that he'd be able to take those barbs and those hooks that come his way with a grain of salt, like water off a duck's back. But those that would need to apply to his life I pray his heart would be open, those criticisms that come his way. I pray, Lord, that you would give him a balance in receiving those and help him to not receive any form of flattery that his judgment may be skewed. So, Father, establish him in this church. Establish him in this position of being an elder. And we know that you are faithful to do this. And we understand and believe that you have called him to it. We just simply affirm what you are doing in the life of Dustin, Mercedes, and DJ. So it is your blessing that we seek, and we establish your blessing here this morning. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. 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 Okay, brother. Give me a hug. Okay, so be praying for these guys, right? Be praying that their wives will be okay, that the... The stress of ministry would not do too much to them. Now, I have five minutes left. We're not going to get into the text today, even though I have something prepared. It deals with Exodus chapter 20. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, deals with the Ten Commandments. These are not ten suggestions, as you have heard it said before. But these are the Ten Commandments of God. Four of them deal with our vertical relationship with God. Six of them deal with our horizontal relationship. Now, I would ask you, do you remember the Oscar Mayer jingle? My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-E-Y-E-R. I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say, Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A, right? Remember that. What about, remember Farrell's? Farrell's, right? You know that Farrell's features fantab- uh, fantastic food and fan- excuse me, 
Farrell's features fabulous food and fantastic fountain fantasies for frolicking, fun-filled, festive families. Did you guys know that? That was a jingle that they had as well. What about two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame seed bun? Do you guys know that? Ah. Well, according to the Decatur Daily back in 2007, they took a survey. In this survey, 25% of Americans said that they could remember the two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame seed bun. 35% could recall the names of all six children in the Brady Bunch. You probably can as well. But guess what percentage could name all ten commandments? (laughs) You're going, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. 14% of those people surveyed could name the ten commandments. Now I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You're going to go home. You're going to open up. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. You don't have to memorize the whole chapters. This is what you need to memorize. Now, this, this is Christianity 101. This is nursery school. These are things that we should apply ourselves to as far as being disciples are concerned. We should at least know the Ten Commandments and know them in order. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet. If you have those ten things, one of the counselors, this pastor that I was reading, he said, the problems that most people have is that they don't live by the Ten Commandments, which are summarized in two. Those two are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you come to me and say, well, can't I just memorize those two? No, it's a good idea to have all ten under your belt. And I'm going to ask for a volunteer, or maybe a couple of volunteers next week, to just recite the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is basic stuff. If we claim to follow Christ, and this is not a condemnation, I don't expect any more than 14% of you to know the Ten Commandments in order. There was a congressman who was called upon that said, every courthouse should have the Ten Commandments listed right in front of the courthouse. And when pressed by one of the late-night talk show hosts what the Ten Commandments were, that congressman could only name three. And he struggled through the three. So if we want to purport to know Jesus Christ and him crucified, a basic, simple step is to simply know the Ten Commandments. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we had asked that you would just shed your blessings upon Mercedes, upon DJ, and upon her husband, Dustin, as he seeks to do your will. And again, we ask for your protection over his life and over his ministry. And Lord, we know that you will use him. Father, we pray also for the rest of us that you would keep us going on the road to maturity, that we would not fail to be committed and faithful. We understand you desire to use us. So Lord, help us to set ourselves apart, be sanctified as much as it is possible with us, to live a holy life 
And in spite of the failings, Lord, we know we can call upon you for your mercy and your grace. And so that's what we seek after. And we'll just glorify you, Lord, in all that we say and do whenever we are given the chance. This is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.